thank you for the glory that you deserve and that you've revealed it to us. God, we thank you that you have shown us your love, that you have shown us your glory, that you have revealed your Son, Jesus Christ, in our life. As we move now into this time of reading of Scripture and, and the message, we pray that you continue to re reveal yourself to us. Holy Spirit, come and share your word with us here today. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I uh, ask that you turn to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, and use these bricks for stone. And, and they used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heavens and make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Um, by now, in our reading of the book of Genesis, if you had any hope at all that mankind could redeem himself, here in chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, that hope should be completely squashed. If at this point you have an inkling that mankind has a little bit of good in him and if we can just reveal that good, mankind will do the right thing and mankind will be good, uh, here in chapter 11 of Genesis, we're done with that. We're done with the hope. Let's get rid of it. Okay, mankind is not good. Because a recap, if, if we want to do one here in the book of Genesis, mankind no matter what situation they're in, keeps choosing sin over choosing a path with God. I mean, we start with Adam and Eve. These two are, are created with a clean slate. They're, they're created in the Garden of Eden, uh, a beautiful, joyful garden where God is present, and yet they sin. They have kids. Cain kills Abel. They have kids and more kids, and all of a sudden, every intent on, hearts, on uh, the hearts of men are only evil, and so God has to wipe away mankind with a flood, saving a remnant, which is Noah. And you would think after that, Noah is a righteous man, and he's got sons, and so he's going to teach them righteousness. Sure enough, just a few generations later, we get to this passage of the Tower of Babel, and what we find is that mankind still has this inclination not to follow God. And so as we move into uh, this passage here in chapter 11, just know we're kind of closing out a section of the book of Genesis. 
We're kind of getting now to a point where the beginning of history has been told, and next week we're going to jump into a new section, which is the calling of Abraham and his family. And so this is how the, the uh, uh, section, the first opening of Genesis is closing out, is mankind decides that they're going to build this tower. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I've read this passage, I've always kind of wondered, what, what was going on? What, what was so bad about mankind saying, let's build a tower and let's work together to build a city? Well, we're going to get into that today. Uh, and I want to start by explaining what tower they were building. So I've got it up on the slide here. This is an artist rendering, or at least it should be. Do we have a picture up there? More likely than not, this is the kind of tower that mankind decided that they were going to build. This is called a ziggurat. And a ziggurat, uh, if you go over to the Middle East now, you will actually find a lot of archaeological remains have these uh, all over the region. This is, where, uh, this is the region that we're talking about here in the Bible. And what a ziggurat is, is it's really just a tower for God to live. You see, what mankind was doing when they built this, and, and what we believe is that in chapter 11, mankind got the idea for the ziggurat and said, let's build a tower. And then from there, after they were scattered, they carried that idea with them and so started to plant them all over and started to build them. But here what we have, if you notice, the base is really wide, and then it gets a little bit smaller and smaller. What does that look like to you? Kind of looks like a mountain, doesn't it? kind of looks like a mountain with a temple on top. And what mankind did is they believed that a mountain was where the gods would live. Because a mountain is so high, man can't get up there, but God must live up there. That must be where God lives. Well, then mankind got the idea that, well, maybe if we don't live next to a mountain, we can build a mountain. And if we build a mountain, God will be on top of that. And so what's amazing about this is it looks like a temple but you don't go in there. There's nothing beyond these walls. This is all just brick and mortar. There's stairs leading up, and do you see that little room on top? That's God's bedroom. Really, you go up there, only the priest was allowed to go up, or, or maybe somebody that the tribe didn't care about. They would send him up there, and he would put food there for the gods to eat. And so that room up there has a bedroom, it has a little basin, a sink for water in case God wants to wash his hands. It's got a bed for God to sleep. It's got a little desk in case God wants to do a little bit of writing. But when mankind made this, the idea was, hey, if we make this mountain and we give God a really nice bedroom, he's going to live there, and then any time we need him, he'll walk down those steps and he'll come talk to us. And so when mankind said, come, let us build a city, let's build a tower, what they were intent on is they were intent on making a home for God to live. That way he would never leave them. And that way he would always be at their calling. And then they would take care of them too. That bet. They probably changed the sheets every so often. They probably put a little mint on the pillow. They would make sure that the best food was brought up there for them. But the idea was that God would be there and he would always be with his people. 
And then what mankind says here in this passage is that we're going to build this and we're going to do it as a name for ourselves. And this is actually, again, very common. You go throughout the Middle East, you find these ziggurats all throughout, and they've got inscriptions on them of the person that came up with the idea or maybe the king that, that built it and, or really made his people build it so they wouldn't die. And so mankind is gathering together here in the opening verses of chapter 11, and they're saying, come, let us make a city so we're going to live there together. We're going to make a little room for God to live. That way he never leaves us. And then we're going to put our names on it so that generations after us will see how amazing we are and how good of care we took care of God. Aren't we good people? Are you starting to feel maybe the problem that's going on? Because the problem here is, well, first of all, God didn't ask for it. God, God never asked for mankind to build anything like this. He, he, and, and at this point, in the first few chapters of Genesis, God has given a few commands He's given a few expectations, and he's been incredibly gracious to everything else. He's just giving a few commands, and he's saying, you guys need to do these things, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. And so the first problem that mankind is running into is God never asked for that, and yet they're putting all of their talents and resources into this in order to please God. In fact, they're putting all of their talents and resources into it to please God, even though he never asked for it. Do you know what that's called? Manipulation. Mankind has it now in their hearts and minds that if we build a big enough mountain and we make God a nice enough room, God will then ask us what he needs to do for us. We'll make it nice and cozy, and then God will come, and he'll ask us what we need. Mankind in this passage is trying to manipulate God into doing their will instead of the other way around. Now, that leads into an even bigger problem that's going on. Not only has God not asked for this, and not only is man trying to manipulate God, Mankind is literally doing the very opposite command that God has called them to do. If you remember back in chapter 9 and 10 with Noah, what happens when Noah gets off the ark? God blesses them. God blesses Noah and his family, and what command does he give them? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the face of the earth. Take dominion. This is the same command that God gave Adam and Eve back in the garden. Think about that for a moment. We're in the Garden of Eden. No sin has entered the world. Everything that God has made is good, and he gives his greatest creation the command to be fruitful and multiply. So the same command that was given to two individuals in the Garden of Eden is still the same command that mankind is given. Not only that, God blesses them to do it, which means that when God says, be fruitful and multiply, he then says, I'm going to help you be fruitful and multiply. Put it this way, have you ever been afraid to start a family? 
I'll answer that for you. And what you need from God is that assurance that if you have kids, he's going to help you take care of them. That's part of the Christian life is knowing that if you start a family, God will be there and he will help you with your family. This is the blessing that started with Adam and Eve and God hasn't let go of it. God hasn't decided something different for mankind. His will and intent for mankind is still that they would be fruitful and multiply, and he still gives the blessing and assurance that if you do this, I will be with you. You have nothing to fear. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will go wherever you go. And when mankind heard that, they said, no, thank you, God. That's just a little bit too much for us to bear. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the face of the earth. Let's not do that. And in fact, they don't even say it to God. What they say to one another is, hey, let's build a city, let's isolate ourselves from the face of the earth, and then when we build this city, we're going to build a tower, and God is going to live there, and he'll forget about that whole command of being fruitful and multiplying. Well, what about the blessing that God has poured out? Oh, don't worry about that blessing. We don't want to do that. That's too scary. We'll have God descend into this tower, and then he'll be so impressed, he'll bless us to do other things. And in fact, we have other ideas of how we want to live our life, so we're now going to ask God to bless those decisions rather than blessing the decision that he made. Are, are you feeling even deeper now the problem that's going on here? at the close of this section of Genesis. No matter what God seems to be doing for mankind, mankind doesn't want any part of it. It seems like whenever God gives a command and gives a blessing, mankind is still pulled back into that fear and mankind is still pulled back into the idea that they know what's best for themselves, not God. Well, that creates some problems. Because in the following verse, God comes down. Have you ever been caught doing something you're not supposed to do? No, never, never. Uh-uh. Not me. When God comes down, it's almost comical. Think about this. He, here's man's plan. All right, here's man's plan. We're going to build this tower only one person is going to go up the steps to provide the food to God, and God is going to come down into that room, and when he's ready, when he's not scared of us anymore, he'll come down these steps, and he'll come talk to us at the base. And in fact, we might even build a temple, another special room that he can come down into. That's how God comes down to visit us, on our terms. And I almost get the sense, this is how comical it is, you know, mankind gets this idea, we're going to build these bricks, and we're going to make these bricks into a tower. And I almost picture mankind saying, wow, look at this, you know, can you imagine when this tower gets built, when everything's said and done, God is going to be up there. And then all of a sudden there's a tap on their shoulder, and they turn around and there's God. Like, what are you doing? What are we doing? What are you doing? You're supposed to come down in that room. But God descends among them. And by the way, this is only the second time in the book of Genesis that God has arrived and he doesn't like what he sees both times. And after this, we never hear of God coming back down again except through other things. He appears to Moses in the burning bush. He sends an angel or a messenger to give his message. 
He comes in nature with Elijah in the cave, and he sends rocks and wind, but it's in the still small voice that he arrives. But never again do we hear of God coming down to be with his people. But when God does this, he comes down, and what he sees is not what he's called man to do. And by the way, too, let me add, just him coming down to speak with man is gracious in and of itself. He's God. He knows what's going on. He doesn't need to walk down any steps. He doesn't need to come down from heaven to see what his people are doing. He can see it all from heaven. He's omnipotent. He's everywhere anyway. But it shows you how gracious God is that he's not just going to sit back and watch us sin, but he is going to arrive to confront us in our sin. He will arrive in person to speak with us about what's going wrong in our lives. And that's what he does with mankind. He arrives, he doesn't like what he sees, and then he says to himself, new plan. So he decides that if mankind sticks together like this, if mankind continues in one language, in one people group, they're never going to move on to fulfill his plan for the world, which is to fill the world, be fruitful, and multiply. And, and just think for a moment, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm taking some liberties with the Scripture. I hope that's okay. But just think if mankind would have obeyed him in that moment and not, not disobeyed him and made his own thing and let pride take over his heart. Imagine maybe the plan that God had for all of mankind for redemption. That maybe all of mankind at once would be redeemed instead of being scattered. Instead, what we have is God, God realizes, or God lets us know in the Scripture that If mankind continues in this way, the pride will just get worse and deeper and they will keep having bad ideas after bad ideas after bad ideas. If they stay in one language, everyone on earth is going to have bad ideas that they're going to buy into and they're going to stray farther and farther away from me. So what God does is he scatters them. He changes up the languages. And as people begin to recognize that they don't share the same language anymore, what happens? They begin to divide themselves among those who speak a certain language and those who don't. And what's the end result when all of this happens? The earth is filled. We might say the word scattered because it's not being filled how God intended it to be filled, But nevertheless, God's plan for humanity, be fruitful, multiply, fill the face of the earth. Mankind's response to God, well, no, we want to be isolated and we want to build things for ourselves for you to bless us. And then God says, fair enough, I'll just give you different languages and you're going to fill the earth that way. And what's even more comical or ironic, I should say, about this passage is what was the reason for them building this tower and staying in one city isolated by themselves? lest we be scattered across the face of the earth. God comes down, God sees they're disobedient, God disciplines, what happens? They scatter over the face of the earth. Gives you a little bit of an idea that when you disobey God, he's going to push you. He's going to discipline in ways that you're going to be drawn or pulled back into his will.
Have you ever been manipulated? Have you ever had somebody that you thought was doing good things for you and it turned out that they were just trying to get you to do good things for them? It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good at all. I, I knew a couple once that, that would give me gifts and they were never gifts that I asked for. It was never anything that I really wanted, but they would give it to me. And I thought, wow, that's very nice. And then I soon found out that they had other ideas. Made me feel powerless. Made me feel naive. So who is mankind that he would try to put God in that same position? Who is mankind that, that he would say, let me manipulate you, God, and you can bless me how I think it's necessary. Of course, what we get throughout Scripture is that that's the struggle that mankind goes through. The struggle that we tend to have is Satan wants to pull us back into a relationship with God where we're the ones that call the shots because God has all the power, but we have all the good ideas. And the reality is God has already given us a command. God has already given us a calling. Not only that, in the calling and commands that God has given us, he has blessed us immensely so that he doesn't just call us to follow him and then leave it up to us to follow him. He calls us to follow him and he gives us the strength to follow him. So really, at the end of the day, we have no excuse as to why we're not following God in doing his will except that we sometimes get tempted by Satan to believe the fear that's in the world, that God doesn't really care about us. But we know that isn't true, because if you look at the rest of the Old Testament, by the way, mankind doesn't really get any better. Even when God has rescued Israel from Egypt, even when God rescues Israel from, from the nations that are attacking them, even when God rescues them in the midst of their sin, there is still a struggle that goes on with the heart of man that doesn't want God to tell them what to do. But look at how gracious God is in the midst of all of that. God is so gracious, he waits God is so gracious, he puts up with it. Do you know in the book of Judges, Israel never once asks for forgiveness for the rebellious acts of their lives, and yet every time they ask God for help, he comes and helps them. It's for generations and generations that we see that man tries to manipulate God. And then do you know what God does? He comes down again. We're going to be moving in a couple of weeks into the Christmas season, and we're going to begin to celebrate the season that God came down to the earth in Jesus Christ. And what we find is that God comes down again to humanity, but as a baby, incarnate in man to fix mankind. And what we see after that is that God continues his redemptive process and completes his redemptive process in the work that Jesus does on the cross in his resurrection. And what's even more than that, now I'm, I'm really getting way off into the scriptures now. It's okay, we won't go to Revelation today. 
But after Jesus ascends and the disciples wait for him to come or wait for him to send the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit who comes and watch what the Holy Spirit does. All right? Tower of Babel, mankind is disobedient. God comes and he scatters mankind with different languages. Jesus Christ comes, he redeems mankind, the Holy Spirit comes, and he unites mankind under the language of heaven. It's at the day of Pentecost that the disciples speak in their own language, but everyone hears the language of heaven, and they begin to hear the gospel. That is the redemptive work that God has done and is doing in your life, the work of Jesus Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit brings to you. So as we walk away from this passage, we have a few questions to ask ourselves in our Christian lives. The first is, am I doing anything to try to manipulate God? Put it this way, maybe ask yourself the question, do I think I have better plans for my life than what God has for my life? And one way of testing this is, take a look at your prayer time. In your prayer time, are you giving God all of the ideas to help you out? Or is your prayer time spent listening to God, letting Him give you the ideas that He's already working out? Now, i got to say, that can be difficult. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get into my prayer time, I just, <laughs> I just need to go. And, and, and that's how gracious God is, is I'll get in there and I'll say, okay, God, got a list for you to complete here this week. These things are really tough. If you can just get that done. And God is gracious. He sees it. He listens to it. And then at some point he says, do you think that's what I want to do? And if you're in an open relationship with God where you listen to him, you're going to hear him say, those aren't my plans. I have different ones. Be open to that. The other question we ask ourselves is, have we already heard a word from the Lord or have we already been called by God to do something and are we doing it or are we being disobedient? Is there anything in our lives that, that we have not yet yielded to the Lord in obedience? Because he blesses us to obey him. He gives us the power and the strength to complete it. And I don't know about you, but I have never once been in a situation where I've obeyed God and then later said, I wish I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> it's, it's always the other way around that when I disobey God, the conviction comes and the circumstances come and I begin to realize I shouldn't have done that. So are there areas of disobedience that you struggle with that you need to yield to the Lord and let him fix in your life to continue to work and redeem you? And the last question that we want to walk away with in this time is, has it been a while since God's spoken to you? That's usually the hardest part. Because you might be in a situation right now where where you know, you know that in your prayer time you're giving God all the good ideas. And maybe you're in a situation where you know God has called you to do something, but you've dodged it, and now you're not sure what to do and how to get right with the Lord. What we get from this passage is 
God is willing to step down. God is willing to come and speak with you about it. Now, he might not like what he sees, but as we see from this passage, he's still going to be with you. He's still going to bless you. He's still going to call you into a relationship with him, but he's going to do so by fixing the problem. So as we move now into the closing worship that we have here, I want to invite, uh, if we have a prayer team here today, I want to invite them up. And, and if you're needing prayer for any of those things, if you're needing prayer for your relationship with God or hearing God's voice, I invite you up to speak with the prayer team. And, and, and let me just say a word about the prayer team. If, if you're not comfortable sharing with them what's going on, I still encourage you to just let them know, I need prayer. And I want to encourage you, too, if one of your concerns is, well, what if people see me go up to the prayer team? Don't worry about them. Don't worry about what anybody else is thinking. If you feel like you're needing prayer for this or any other situation, I want to invite you up and pray with the prayer team, or maybe you want to pray on your own. So as we move now into this time of worship, let's bow our heads and let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you that whatever situation we're in, you call us back into a relationship with you. God, we thank you that in whatever situation that you call us to be obedient, that you bless us and you give us strength for obedience. And God, we thank you that, that, that you are willing to come down and speak with us on any and every occasion. So we pray, God, that you would speak to us, that you would come down. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us here in this time and as we leave this place.